Good morning. Biden says no to Putin. Putin pulls out of a nuclear treaty. A new civilian member of the board tasked with regulating NYPD spying and a battle over the future of Chinatown. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Wednesday morning, February 22nd, 2023. President Joe Biden spoke to thousands of supporters in Poland on Monday after his hush-hush overnight train ride to Ukraine over the weekend. He vowed no matter what, the United States and allies will not waver in supporting Ukraine. Autocrats only understand one word, no, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. Right-wing nationalist Polish President Andrzej Duda praised Biden's visit to Kiev as spectacular, claiming it boosted the morale of Ukraine's defenders. Meanwhile, as Biden was in Poland, Russian President Vladimir Putin suspended Moscow's participation in the last remaining nuclear arms control pact with the United States. He announced the move in an angry speech where he doubled down on his strategy in the special military operation in Ukraine. He accused the regime in Ukraine of being neo-Nazi and that the Ukrainian people are hostages of Kyiv and Western powers. Despite the rhetoric, Putin said Russia wasn't actually leading the agreement and Moscow would respect the New START Treaty's cap on nuclear weapons. Russia would also continue to share information about missile launches with the United States. Secretary of State Antony Blinken described Moscow's decision to suspend participation in the treaty as really unfortunate and very irresponsible. The announcement by uh, Russia that it's uh, suspending participation in the start is deeply unfortunate and irresponsible. Uh, we'll be watching carefully to see what uh, Russia actually does. We'll, of course, make sure that in any event we are postured appropriately for the security of our own country and, and, and that of our allies. You know, when the administration started, we extended New START because it was clearly in the security interests of our country and actually in the uh, security interests of, uh, of Russia. Um, and uh, that only underscores what um, uh, an irresponsible action this is. But of course, we remain uh, ready to talk about uh, strategic arms limitations uh, at any time with Russia, irrespective of anything else going on uh, in the world or in our relationship. I think it matters that uh, we uh, continue to act responsibly in this area. It's also something the rest of the world expects of us, but uh, this uh, decision, as I said, is both really unfortunate and uh, very responsible, but we'll be watching it closely. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres responded by calling for Russia and the United States to return to dialogue immediately because, he says, a world without nuclear arms control is a far more dangerous and unstable one. Closer to home, in local news, civil rights activists are calling for accountability after a new report shows the majority of drivers who got arrested during traffic stops in New York City last year were people of color. According to a new report by the New York Civil Liberties Union, the NYPD, 
made more than 673,000 traffic stops in 2022, 15,000 of which resulted in arrests. 49% of those drivers arrested were black and 39% were Latino. Just 2% of car stops lead to an arrest, prompting civil liberties lawyers to accuse police of lax rules for determining when a stop should occur. The report also states that nearly 15,000 pedestrians were stopped by the NYPD last year. That's the highest number since 2015 and a 61% increase compared to 2021. The New York Civil Liberties Union says about 60% of those pedestrians were black and roughly 30% were Latino. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In the 1970s, a series of trials of members of the Radical Black Panther Party sparked mass surveillance by the NYPD Intelligence Division, then known as BOSS, or the Bureau of Special Services. Most of the targets were people involved in legal First Amendment protests and organizing. This led to civil rights lawyer Barbara Hanshu spearheading a class action suit claiming that informers and infiltrators provoked, solicited, and induced members of lawful political and social groups to engage in unlawful activities. The agreement acts as a check on NYPD surveillance practices and is administered by the Hanshu Board, made up of police and one civilian member. On Tuesday, Mayor Eric Adams announced the newest civilian member of the board and the first Muslim member, Attorney Mohammed Faridi. Um, as a lieutenant in the police department, I was under surveillance by the police department uh, for a substantial period of time, and it came out in federal court uh, that I was being followed uh, by the department that I was a part of. I uh, advocated on behalf of making sure Hanshu uh, was doing its job correctly. And I heard from many of my Muslim um, brothers and sisters um, during the time uh, that uh, people were going into their mosque, they were following them. There were things that I thought was done that was improper. And I spoke out against that as a police officer because no one uh, should be targeted or focused on merely because of, of their way of life, their religious belief, or who they are. And the countless number of Muslims, over a million Muslims in this city, who every day uh, go about providing their jobs, go about uh, looking at their uh, families and safety and their religious right, <clears throat> they were treated unfairly. and They were basically stigmatized and demonized because of a numerical minority that exploited a religion. Faridi, who replaces Judge Stephen Robinson, who is black, praised the achievements of the consent agreement at the heart of Hanshu. The oversight structure that has been set up and approved by the federal court, it's unprecedented, it's extraordinary, and the role that the civilian representative has in that particular structure is also unprecedented. And the representative, as the mayor mentioned, is charged with ensuring equal protection of the law in police surveillance and police investigations and reporting any systematic and repeated violations of individuals' civil liberties and civil rights to the federal court. I want to recognize the important work that my predecessor, Judge Stephen Robinson, did on the committee. I hope to emulate his work. I do that by a fraction. I would be honored. As the first Muslim representative on, the particular, on this committee, that particular note is not lost on me. The Muslim community and all communities, I understand that they're looking at me and they want to make sure that the NYPD does the right thing in some of the most important work that the NYPD does for our city and our country. 
Mohamed Fridi is the first Muslim member of the Hanshu board. New York attorney Ron Kuby has defended many political activists and others charged with political crimes in New York City and his working knowledge of the Hanshu Agreement. Back in the 1970s, uh, as sort of a response to many of the revelations that came out during the uh, Black Panther trials, uh, a lawsuit was filed against the city of New York and the NYPD alleging unlawful surveillance of lawful political activists. And that lawsuit, uh, the lead plaintiff was Barbara Hanshu, and that lawsuit wended its way through the courts until finally in the 1980s there was a settlement agreement that is known generally as the Hanshu Agreement. And the Hanshu Agreement uh, prohibits police surveillance of, of uh, legitimate activists, uh, peaceful protesters and the like, and requires there be some sort of reasonable basis for surveillance um, reasonable basis to believe that people are going to be engaged in unlawful activity or, or, or violence. So that all sounds great. Those are great guidelines, but how do they get implemented? And, and the answer was there is a Hanshu board, nine of whom are appointed by the city of New York and consist of the intelligence chief and the police commissioner, et cetera, et cetera. They are accountable to a federal judge who oversees all of this. And periodically, there have been attempts to modify the Hanshu agreements after 9-11, for example. The police commissioner went into court and said, you know, we, we need enhanced surveillance. Uh, we can't abide by these accords. Mayor Koch tried to, to change them at one point. Uh, but but the, the basis, the fundamental uh, uh, framework still exists in terms of its uh, prohibitions on the NYPD spying on legitimate political activists and and other First Amendment protected activity. The cops since 9-11, they threw a lot of that, maybe not technically, but for practical purposes out the window and just were in every mosque, every meeting. There certainly were numerous Hanshu violations in the aftermath of 9-11, and the guidelines were modified to allow some additional police activity, but the basic agreement has remained intact, and there has to be one civilian member on the board who is independent of the NYPD, and that member has the power to actually go directly to the federal judge and say there are handshoe violations going on here, there needs to be a remedy. The person who just recently retired was former Judge uh, Stephen Robinson of the Southern District of New York. Oddly enough, he was one of the two black students at Cornell Law School when I was there. He became a federal judge. It's a five-year term, and his term expired. And so Mayor Adams appointed Mohammed Faraday as the new civilian member. And Mr. Faraday is the first Muslim member. And he's getting kind of universal acclaim from everyone weighing in on this from the lawyers in charge of the Hanshu agreement, including Marty Stoller, and pretty much everybody across the board seems to think he's a great choice. You know, he's okay. Kubi says Freedy is an expert and highly regarded by all sides, but Kubi adds Freedy has a corporate background. 
He works for a large law firm, Patterson, Belknap, Tyler, and Webb, a very accomplished attorney, used to be a law clerk for the great federal judge Jack Weinstein, who was one of the the great civil liberties judges who's since passed on. If somebody had asked me, which, by the way, nobody did, I probably would not have appointed an attorney who primarily represents corporate interests in hedge funds. I probably would have been able to find a, a Muslim attorney who is involved primarily in civil rights and social justice issues. But given how bad most of Eric Adams' appointments are to everything, this is like an A- minus at, at worst. So The cases uh, that were brought after the George Floyd protests, Black Lives Matter, where there was horrendous, I mean, what the cops did was horrendous, and there's lawsuits up the kazoo about this, and, and we're still waiting for decisions on that, I hear. That's right. There was a lot of overtly unlawful policing in the George Floyd protests. I mean, brutality, kettling, arbitrary enforcement, you know, excessive force, um, you know, conflicting orders like, you know, get out of here, freeze. Well, okay, which one should I do? Because I can't do both. And a number of demonstrators were injured. So those lawsuits are going on, and, and they're still examining whether or not the surveillance um, of BLM and and other adjacent protests violated the Hanshu guidelines. Kubi says while Hanshu is not a panacea, it does provide guardrails for the police. The Hanshu guidelines and the Hanshu board, they're not some sort of magic solution to the problem of over-policing in New York. They're one thing that was uh, uh, developed to address sort of one problem. And they've done a decent job over the decades of doing that, uh, very long-lasting. And the NYPD has has gotten used to them. And I'm not suggesting the NYPD adheres to the Hanshu guidelines, but the NYPD knows they exist and, and knows they can only go so far before they get dragged into court. Activist attorney Ron Kuby. In related news, the organization Black Lives Matter brought a lawsuit against police spying on protesters. In 2019, a judge ordered the NYPD to turn over documents in the case, but the judge's order has been tied up in litigation ever since. In more local news, protesters have been picketing the Museum of Chinese in America, which reopened in 2021 after being evicted by a fire at their previous Chinatown location. The museum has been accused of giving credibility to a city plan to erect a massive new jail in the neighborhood. Activists are angry at the co-chair and founder of the museum, also known as Mocha. His name is Jonathan Chu, and his family owns numerous properties in the area. Activists blame him for closing down and downsizing the union workforce at the Jingfang restaurant and want to boycott all his businesses and establishments. Chinatown activist in Shenning was there and spoke with the news. We are in front of the Museum of Chinese in America. Uh, this museum uh, is uh, actually supporting the new jail to be built. Uh, in exchange, they got $35 million from uh, former Mayor de Blasio. They actually lend the mayor's uh, face of uh, Chinese representative. They claim they represent Chinatown. At that time, majority in Chinatown were opposing the jail. Now the mayor can say they support the community, support the jail, then they give the benefit to the community. These are the institutions that are really helping the city 
to criminalize Chinatown and uh, support their displacement agenda. The board co-chair of this museum is uh, Jonathan Chu, who is the biggest landlord in Chinatown. And uh, he displaced the biggest restaurant, the Jin Feng restaurant, uh, almost two years ago. A restaurant for the locals, not the tourists. Uh, both. <laughs> and uh, it actually attracted a lot of tourists and actually, actually was the, the cornerstone of the Chinatown economy. Of course, serving the locals for decades as well. That restaurant has a big dining hall before. Over 10,000 people every week go there. Now, you know, since the restaurant were, uh, was at this place. And what does he want to replace the restaurant with again? That restaurant was uh, it's on Elizabeth Street, right next to a very fancy hotel that also owned by Jonathan Chu. He's supporting the displacement of a community. He's supporting the new jail. Right. We are asking a community to boycott this museum and all his true family's business. Right. Does this have to do with the community center that had the fire a couple of years ago over on Mott Street or Mulberry Street? That fire at Mocha, the museum, uh, has a space there. And since then, they have been actually using that to say, oh, you know, we need to preserve Chinatown and all that. But what they have been doing actually have been uh, trying to destroy Chinatown and the Lower East Side and just for the rich people. In a statement on their website, the Museum of Chinese in America says it is and has always been unalterably opposed to building a jail in Chinatown. They say their opposition has been documented and claim some activists have failed to understand their position. And finally, earlier this month, police arrested and charged a man in connection with the brutal assault of 90-year-old candy store owner Ray Alvarez. Ray's candy store has been dishing out fried Oreos, Belgian fries, and egg creams for nearly half a century on Avenue A between 7th Street and St. Mark's Place in the East Village. The alleged assailant, Louis Perosa, tried to force Ray to buy bottles of seltzer. When Ray refused, Perosa allegedly struck the nonagenarian with a rock at the end of a belt, gashing his head and giving him a black eye. One of Ray's employees, Maria, tells the news she got her first job at Ray's. You came here when? 40-something years ago. So this was 45, 46 years ago. And I started to work with Ray. This was my first job without speaking English. And then I switched. I started to work in a French place. After from French place, another French place. After hotel, after retired, and after I'm with Ray again. And what do you think of working here? Uh, that's my nice memory too, you know, that's young age and it's pleasure to work for, for A. What's the neighborhood like? How has it changed? Uh, the neighborhood, I used to live here. I used to live in the Torch Street, Avenue A. Uh, it's not bad, not bad. Daytime. I don't know nighttime, but daytime is okay. I know, because it was a terrible thing. We know that happened. With oh, yes. Night, right? Yes, this was terrible things. It's overnight, yeah. all night? Is the store open all night, 24 hours? Until 4 o'clock. But I work only in the morning. So. I see. Did you ever have a problem like that before? No, overnight? no. That was really first time happened something to Ray like that. So long ago, it was considered a more dangerous neighborhood, but it's more dangerous now. Oh yes, that's true. It's, yeah. it's getting dangerous. It's not only a race tour, but all over. Yeah. All over. And the subway, especially subways. Yeah. And the that's the sad thing. I want to talk about the more positive thing for a minute, because you have all these great foods. Do you ever eat any of the food here on the wall? 
Oh, I wish to eat this everything, but uh, if this is without calorie, oh yes, I will eat everything. <laughs> but it's not without calorie, I don't think so, right? Uh, no, no. You know, everything got a calorie, so. And my age, I have to watch, yes. Well, we have things like fried Twinkies, fried Oreos. Fried Oreo, the best. Uh, we have beignets, we have, uh, well, what's the, most what's the most popular? Oreo, fried Oreo. Oh, fried. Oreo and uh, egg cream, egg cream also. What's an egg cream? Tell people who don't know what an egg cream is. Yes, a lot of people think it's eggs. No, there is no eggs. There is syrup and milk soda, but it tastes delicious. Especially, I recommend the egg cream black and white, vanilla and chocolate. That's really very popular. And Ray, in happier times, describes for the news how he came from Iran in the 1960s and became a U.S. citizen. How long have you had this store? Uh, 49 years. Where were you from before here? Oh, I am from uh, Iran, from the uh, northern part of Iran, near the Russia, uh, Russian border. So you knew Russians growing up? Oh, yeah. Russia invaded my country uh, during the World War II. And uh, they took, uh, they cut, they took all my... Uh, trees, uh, they just took it away, and um, England took the southern part, Persian Gulf, they took all the oil they can. As a matter of fact, the oil that they took paid the war expenses, and uh, Russia paid the damage, and England did it. You know, Russia paid the uh, train gold, gold. And uh, England didn't. Ray Alvarez from Ray's Candy Store in the East Village. And that's the news for Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. The news was produced by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.